Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with the talented Mary Gamba, our executive producer and co-host. Mary, um, we're taping in the middle of a snowstorm. Yes, it'll be seen later, but it is the 18th of February. So many interesting things going on. Hey, Mary, what's on the show today? What is on? What do you mean? Like, who's on the show? Oh, we have uh, Dr. Nair uh, from Seton Hall University. We're really, really excited to be joined by him. And I loved uh, prior to us going live right now, you said you're going to get through the segment without talking about basketball. I, I said, no way. I'm a betting woman and I say absolutely no way. Yeah, by the way, Joseph uh, Nair, the president. By the way, let's put Dr. Nair up right away. Dr. Nair, I will not be holding this the entire time, but let's get this out of the way. We're taping right now. Um, Joe, let me just ask you this. By the way, um, Joseph Nyer, Dr. Joseph Nyer is the president of Seton Hall University. I was saying, as we were playing last night, when I say we, like I'm on the basketball team, um, I always wear, this is my lucky rally hat for Seton Hall. We happen to beat DePaul. This will be seen later. Hopefully good things will happen. We don't know. Cross our fingers. Uh, Joe, first of all, thank you for joining us again on Lessons in Leadership. It's great to be with you, Steve. Great to be with you. Hey, Mary, Dr. Nair wanted to know exactly who the sponsors of Lessons in Leadership are. Could you get that out of the way first? I know. Thank you so much for asking that question, Dr. Nair. <laughs> and Steve, one thing, I don't think you even know this, and I, I don't think we ever talked about it. My sister is a Seton Hall University graduate, and I don't think, we've, I, I don't think I've ever shared that with you. So Your sister uh, is. The, my son, Stephen, is. My mm -hmm. father is. My sister, Teresa, is. Yeah, I can't believe, I don't think we've ever talked about that in our 20 plus years together. So uh, I will segue into our funders who make this show possible. We have Prager Metis, Valley Bank, NJ Sharing Network, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and most importantly, Seton Hall University and the Seton Hall uh, Bacino Leadership Institute with Brian Price and the great team over there. And I'd love to thank Matt Borowick for his help setting this up today. And Steve is also going to be leading a master class with the Bacino Leadership Institute as well. So there's a uh, Seton Hall to say that your family is an understatement. So yeah. thanks for joining us today, Dr. Nair. Dr. Nair, I promise we, we'll, we won't be plugging the whole time. Uh, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> let me ask you this. You were with us early on uh, on lessons in leadership, talking about pivoting and trying to figure out what to do. It was early on in the pandemic. We're taping this about a year in. It'll be seen later. Biggest, I know I ask you this all the time, the biggest leadership lesson you've learned as we tape one year into this pandemic is? The quality of information and the quality of communication are everything in a crisis. So what do you mean quality of it? I don't understand that. Yeah, so early in the pandemic, it was less clear the route of the virus. Uh, we thought it would be a one semester pandemic, then a two semester, then a three semester. It was communicable by surface, then by air. You didn't need to wear masks. You did need to wear masks. What was safe distancing? When would the vaccines be available? Um, would it be safe to have students in residence hall? How much should you de-densify uh, a classroom or a residence hall? all the different health protocols, when should you pivot to full remote, et cetera. Those questions were permeating the air across the country and certainly in our region of the country. And attaining as much quality information early as possible was critical for us, not only for planning, which obviously we were engaged in multiple sets of contingency plans, but also in communicating with certainty to our students and our employees there was so much uncertainty in the country, we were longing for certainty from any place we could attain it as, as humans. 
So having quality information and be able to communicate that information in our actions, I think were critical. And I think that for me, there were lessons in leadership during unprecedented challenges of this pandemic. Real quick, well, Mary, before you jump in, but Dr. Nair, here's the, what, it sounds like a contradiction, but I know it's not. You said with so much uncertainty, we needed to communicate with certainty. So here's the obvious question I ask. Since there are so many things you don't know that you can't know that are changing, that we're told, and then that's, no, never mind, forget about that. We have no information. How the heck do you communicate with certainty with so much uncertainty? Well, one is we had a set of guiding principles that we could refer back to. Uh, for example, one of our guiding principles was student choice about the modality of their instruction. And our reopening plans were finalized by late May prior to the New Jersey guidance for colleges and universities. And we were one of the first institutions on the East Coast to let those plans. So we communicated with certainty about our plans, noting that they were subject to change and that we had built nimbleness and flexibility into our plan, recognizing that the virus was going to take us places we did not yet know, but communicating with certainty about those plans while also indicating our teams are planning for other alternatives is at least clarity about the immediate future, clarify what we were doing on campus to prepare the campus for the return of our students and faculty and staff, as well as providing as much clarity as possible on the budget ramifications for the institution. So it's certainly a fine balance. And I'm sure that you and Mary and I and all of us are going to look back with great clarity in hindsight about which, what we wish we would have done differently. But communicating often as clearly as possible and having multiple sets of contingency plans were things that helped us at least arrive at the place we are today. And so funny, Mary, as, as Joe talks, as Dr. Nair talks about looking back, we're looking back in the book that Mary and I are co-authoring on lessons in leadership, COVID and beyond. And we're actually the researcher working on that book comes out of Seton Hall University, Ariana, who comes from the Bucino Leader, Leadership Institute. I mean, we are going to try to look back and make sense of it. Mary, please jump in. Sure thing. And a lot about communication, Dr. Nyer, as we talk about it, is leading and looking also to the future. And I know that Seton Hall University right now um, did recently put out a 2021-2023 strategic plan. And a lot of it, as we were looking at it, um, just the high level, and a lot of it is about the common good and really about the human element. Why is that so important, particularly in these challenging times? Why is that human element such a core component of the strategic plan moving forward? Yeah, I want to speak to that from two elements. One is uh, the planning process. We were in the middle of it when the pandemic hit, and we had to make a decision as an institution. Should we pause the planning process and focus exclusively on the pandemic, or should we approach this in a way that would have strategy guide our approach to the pandemic and have us look past the pandemic? And ultimately, we chose for the latter. We wanted to be able to plan into the future, lean forward, make decisions now that would position us well for the future. So that was a, our attempt to avoid pandemic paralysis, which we've seen. We've seen in various sectors, in various businesses, various institutions. So being able to do both, we thought was critical. The human element of what a Catholic university is, we think is essential now more than ever. Our interactions, how we support one another, how we support one another uh, in an inclusive environment, uh, how we practice Catholic social teachings. All of these elements we think are critical 
and are woven throughout our strategic plan as an intentional thread that we believe galvanizes our university and strengthens us. So we think now more than ever, we appreciate as a the human interaction, how we support one another and what that means for our success as a democracy or a society long-term. Yeah. Absolutely critical. Mary, you want to follow up? Because I'm curious about the, the renovation at the university center and you know, because Mary and I always say the status quo is not an option, but then we're trying to save money. We're trying to be as fiscally tight as tight. Yeah, we are we're trying to be as efficient as possible. Mary, I bet you were wondering, really, they're going to move forward on this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I, I said Steve and I share a brain often and I am curious about that. Oftentimes when times are tough, uh, organizations, nonprofits, uh, you know, whomever, uh, really start to tighten up their belts. But in this time, you are expanding, you're doing some new things. And, and why is that important as you're going through this time as well? Yeah, so we were you know, moving in multiple dimensions. One, we did tighten our belt. We trimmed approximately $33 million out of our budget. We did uh, trim our payroll. We did have a, a significant expense reduction uh, move. Number two, we raised funds for a student emergency fund to help our students. And we wanted to make investments in the mid and longer term in the quality of the student experience and the academy. And our university center is part of that investment in the future in the quality of the student experience. Uh, we, we saw that interest rates were at historic lows. So in the middle of the pandemic, we also went into the bond markets to take advantage of those low interest rates. We did that for two reasons. One is we knew we would advanced liquidity, because if the pandemic lasted two, three, four years, we knew liquidity would be essential. Uh, but we also wanted to take advantage of the low interest rates for key projects that we had as part of our strategy and as part of our master plan. So it is a bit of a dual message that we're raising funds to support students in who are in states of emergencies, that we were trimming our budgets, but also making investments in the university and in quality that we're in the mid and long term going to be beneficial to strengthen the value of a Seton Hall degree. So we think all of those elements are essential. And I'm pleased that we were able to move forward on all of those fronts rather than it's, and it's easy to have happen. You fall prey to the day-to-day -day crisis management of the pandemic and lose sight of the midterm or the longer term. So that was why we moved in that direction. We're very excited about the new university center and the renovations to Bowling Hall and other projects we have in the queue. And we're just in the silent phase of our fundraising campaign, uh, but we'll be coming forward in the near future uh, with our uh, comprehensive advancement campaign to not only support the university center and major capital projects, but to support affordability of a college education for students with scholarships to support attracting and retaining the best faculty to help transform lives and to continue to elevate the quality of a Seton Hall education. Uh, Dr. Nair, one more, uh, one minute left. I wanna ask you <clears throat> this question, because you talk about you know, we, we cut our budget, we tightened up, but then we expanded. I mean, think about it. We created this, this podcast series. We created on our public television side, a new series called Uncut. We're involved in all these different things. And in fact, Seton Hall University and the, and the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, where I'm honored to be teaching, they didn't have to, your team didn't have to, you could have just said, we're cutting everything. No partnerships, no nothing. 
but you didn't. And so we're, we're appreciative of that. But my point is you can't grow and you can't expand and you can't innovate if all we're doing is pulling back. Uh, Doctor, do I have that? Is that too simplistic a description? No, it's the best way to frame it. We didn't think you could cut your way out of a pandemic. We thought trimming our budgets was essential. Yep, it is. Investing in growth and in quality and in the student experience were essential. So if, if the sole strategy is to cut your way out of a pandemic, that's a recipe we believe for failure. On the other hand, trimming in a responsible fashion and making key investments in the future, although seemingly a bit bipolar, we think uh, is the right strategy to move through. Yep. That's right. Before I let you go, 30 seconds on the Bucino Leadership Institute and why, listen, we don't have to do a commercial for it. It is unique in the nation. It speaks for itself. The website will be up as we speak right now. Dr. Nair, why is that institute so important? It's essential. We're number one in leadership. It's embedded in every school and college we have at the university. It's part of our curriculum. Dr. Jerry Bucino, our major benefactor for that institute, uh, has played a key role in ensuring that Seton Hall trains leaders of tomorrow to help lead us through the very days that we're experiencing over the last year, year and a half. So essential for the future is that we're building strong leaders with a moral compass that can lead us into the future. Well said, by the way, Mary, let's, let's work with uh, Dr. Price and the team to see if we can get Dr. Bucino for an interview on lessons in leadership because he's absolutely brilliant. He is. Um, Dr. Nair, thank you. Go Pirates, doesn't matter whether we're in season, off season, doesn't matter. Joe, thank you, we really appreciate it, Dr. Nair. Great to be with you both. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary. More importantly, that's Dr. Joe Nyer from the Seton Hall University. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, is brought to you by Valley Bank, the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, New Jersey Sharing Network, Prager Metis, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine. CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. By the way, just so you see what goes on here, I got this clock. Elvin says you got four minutes. Can we time everything? Look at you multitasking, Steve. That's why we have Elvin. You don't even need to do that. You can trust but verify. That's fine. But Elvin, I am confident, will give us the cues promptly when needed. You're the one who lives by the leadership motto. If you want something done right, do it yourself. I know. It's, such a, it's a horrible, hor unless it has something I'm to do with it. backing it up. 
wait a minute, why don't we get that out of the way? I know we just talked to Dr. Nair, by the way, speaking of basketball, right? Seen all basketball. Um, let's get this out of the way. We have a great team, but you live by the motto, and we've talked about it a million times on Lessons in Leadership. Have you evolved in any way as we enter the spring of 2021, as we hopefully COVID's in the weird room mirror, we'll see. Are you any better at if you want a job done right, you have to do it yourself. Do you delegate any better than you used to? I don't delegate better. I, I, I can say I, I admit that failure. I do not delegate better. However, what I have done is I figured out who on our team can uh, do what best and, you know, and delegate those correct things to the right people. And I think that's what it goes down to. If you put the people in the position to succeed in terms of what projects you're giving them, um, I always talk about Laura Van Bloom, who um, I always say I cannot uh, imagine life here um, working on this team without She's her. She's our head of marketing and branding mm -hmm. and, and, and sponsor fundraising relations. She's and the sponsor best. Sponsor relations and, and we share a brain. And I think it goes down to just being a type A personality, it's not a good quality, it's not a great trait, but I am in the mindset, if you want something done exactly how you want it to be done, it may not always be right, because I think that's where that expression is a little bit off. But if I want it done my way or a certain way, and I'm sure that every dot, you know, every I is going to be dotted, every T is going to be crossed. Um, I, I just am a firm believer, sometimes you got to do it yourself, not all the time. I have delegated and let go a little bit, but certain things because when when something does go wrong and steve if you come to me and say you know where did this go wrong if i were handling it within reason then at least i can own it and um and know all right that okay. went wrong okay that's all uh, everything we appreciate your testimony that's wonderful mary great <laughs> by the way TJ i feel like Nellie i was on the stand right now i had to like put my hand on a bible no i meant testimony in church like you testify yeah yeah okay that's because you haven't been to church lately. That's why you didn't appreciate it. Well, yeah, you also have to realize I'm Presbyterian. So even when I did go to church, it's like, you know, it's Christian life. I'm Catholic. We don't testify. <laughs> we just go to confession. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave that alone. Um, by the way, TJ Nelligan's coming up. A uh, great friend. Talk about an extraordinary entrepreneur, successful in so many ways, uh, built, helped build Special Olympics in New Jersey and across the nation, wrote a wonderful book um, about his son, Sean, who he lost. Uh, on Father's Day, he wrote a wonderful book about his son, Sean, simply called Live Like Sean. It's powerful. It's inspirational. TJ is a close friend. I knew Sean. He passed way too young, um, special needs, and a special person. And TJ will be talking about him in a minute. But Mary, I got to follow up on this before we go to TJ. We trust our people. No detail too small. You want a job done right. Did we not have a conversation literally this week as we're leading into this production where certain things were missed because things get missed? And I said, Mary, um, I need you to be involved in this when we wanted it to be handled by others, but you and I were concerned that it might not be handled the way you and I would handle it. Uh, is that a fair assessment? It is fair. And in certain situations, and this is a great example uh, to share that story, is that there are nuances and you and I talk about that a lot. There's there's gray areas. There's gray areas. And if it's not as, you know, simple as, okay, what I need is X, Y, and Z. And really you need to read between the lines. You and I often read each other's minds. We complete each other's sentences. We know what we need, what we want. And that's just a product of being together for 20 plus years. So in certain situations, sure, there's a lot of things that I delegate, but in certain situations where nuance and really just uh, creative thinking 
and thinking how we often say, I need to think how Steve would think. What would Steve do in this situation? Well, That's what that I mean. Because I have to think, I'm sorry, Mary, you say you think the way I would think and then communicate that to the staff. But when I'm dealing with a, a sponsor, when I'm dealing with our partners at PBS, if I'm dealing with whomever, I have to try to think the way they would think, even though I'm not them and you're not me. Why is that a leadership trait? It is so important because whether you're communicating, emailing, leading, uh, running a meeting, it is all about keeping it others centered. We always talk about who is your audience? Why do they matter? And really, frankly, what do they care about? Because at the end of the day, it is truly all about them and what matters to them. And that is why it's really important to know who that other person is and what really makes them excited to wake up in the morning. And in many ways, Mary coaches our team members. We have a small team. And so we try not to have a bureaucracy. But here's the thing. There are times I'll ask Mary to handle something with a team member. And she'll, I know she'll do this. She'll say, listen, you're about to tell Steve or share something with Steve. What you're sharing with him is not going to, what do you mean? Well, I can tell you what he's looking for and you don't have it here. And Mary vets that. Is that a good way to say it? you vet it yeah. and coach them? Yeah. What, what, why do you do that? I'll get off this. Why shouldn't I be the one to do it every time to tell everyone, even though we have a, don't have a bureaucracy, you are closer to team members than I am? Sure. Well, really what it comes down to is we want to make sure- by the way, in a bigger organization, it's more complex. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's definitely more complex, but no matter the size of the organization, there are direct reporting structures. There's people who coach and mentor others. And in that situation, it's super important to know what the expectations are, and frankly, uh, what the style is. There's a culture, there's a DNA in the organization, and it's our job as leaders to coach and mentor those people. So before it gets to the leader's desk, they are sure that, hey, this is our best effort. There still may be, you know, something's not right, but at least it's the best effort and yeah. has been vetted and doesn't waste your time. And by the way, I, I have to still work on my time management. I just went two and a half minutes over. Uh, let me introduce TJ Nelligan. He's author of the book, Live Like Sean, Important Lessons from My Special Needs Son. An incredible story, a great book. Go out and get it. Mary and I will talk for a minute on the back end. I think we have that left. This is TJ Nelligan. Steve Adubato here, Lessons in Leadership with our good friend TJ Nelligan, the author of this extraordinary book, Live Like Sean, about TJ's um, son, Sean, who passed away at the age of 29, a special needs young man. Um, important life lessons for my special needs son. TJ, by the way, check out our public broadcasting program that we did a great interview with TJ about that, uh, about Sean, about the book. Hey, T, this is about leadership. You built an extraordinary business in elegant sports. You brought Special Olympics in New Jersey, nationally did unbelievable things. Leadership for you, did it come naturally? Does it come naturally? Well, I always said that entrepreneurs are born, you know, every college now has a school of entrepreneurship. Well, you can't teach somebody to have the guts to put all your chips on the table and start a company. You can teach them how to be better at it. You can teach them about sales and marketing and all the different things. But I think leadership comes from, you know, being able to inspire your team, make sure everybody's on the same page. You all are going for common goals. And, you know, in our company that we built over 15 years and then sold to a competitor, the more successful our people were, the more stock options I gave them in the company. So it was a team. It wasn't Nelligan Sports, TJ Nelligan. You know, we had over 100 full-time employees, 300 contract employees. And you have to go around and know all their names, motivate them, and have to make them understand why we're going after these certain goals. Yeah, I'm going to follow up. By the way, I remember one of the first leadership seminars I did, I actually did with TJ's team. 
And it was unbelievable, the energy, the passion. But I got to ask you something, T. Um, I've been at this. You, you've stepped back. Obviously, you're an author now, an accomplished author, doing different things. I'm still plugging away every day. And here's the challenge. I'm obsessed with pursuing this thing called excellence, not perfection. I don't know what that is. You're obsessed for a long time. Here's a question. Do you have to be obsessive about excellence and getting it right and the details? Or can we just chill more? I think you can do both. But I think it's, you know, one of the chapters in the book says be present and be grateful. And that's the hardest thing for entrepreneurs to do in type A personalities. You know, every time you hit a goal, you move the goalpost instead of being happy. Life is a journey. It's not a destination. And I learned that from Sean that you have to have your whole team present today. Everybody's grateful we're doing what we're doing. Yes, we want to achieve goals. Yes, we want to be the best at it. But you can't get too crazy about it. And I'll tell you what the hardest part is that after I sold my company, the first year, I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I was working I seven remember. hours a week, 10 hours a day. Now I played 100 rounds of golf. And by the way, TJ is a single-digit handicap, which means he's really good. He played a lot of golf when he stopped, when he sold the company. But, but, but here's my question to you about that. Constant improvement. I, I keep talking about we have to get better. We have to get better. To me, that's a healthy thing because you don't accept the status quo. Where does it begin to be a problem versus, hey, we don't just sit tight. The book by Jim Collins is called Good to Great. It's not called, hey, we're pretty good. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And the whole point is that, you know, you can try to be excellent. You can try to be the best in the world at something, which I think you should. But you also have to be grateful every day and get the team on the same page. Last question, T. You're an emotional guy. I'm an emotional guy. Passionate as well. How did you manage when you were running the company, making deals, trying to get your salespeople to be their best? How did you manage your quote unquote emotions? Because I, after all these years, am not even close to being that good at it. I think that's a difficult thing to do. You know, I, I remember when I first started in college sports and everybody said, he has such high energy. I didn't think I had high energy. I thought everybody was like me. Um, but you have to put that to good use, put it toward the goal and, you know, work as hard as you can and build the best company that you can build. But, you know, emotions get into it once in a while. And I think that's why I like to hire people like you came into our salespeople and others who came in. Greg Schiano came and talked to our salespeople to really teach them how to motivate themselves to be the best try right. not overdo it where you lose focus that's tj nelligan not only a, a successful leader entrepreneur uh, check out nelligan sports on wikipedia you'll find out great stuff when he saw what year did you sell the company t 2014. he made a couple bucks but then this book is in my view and i've known tj a long time by far his greatest achievement live like sean check it out whether you're type a b c it doesn't matter It'll make a difference in your life. TJ Nellian, thank you so much for joining us on Lessons in Leadership, my friend. Thank you, Steve. It's been an honor. You got it. Wow, that was uh, TJ Nelligan, uh, his incredible book, Live Like Sean. Mary, what's your biggest takeaway? Just to be present and be grateful. Uh, every day, I know myself, I'll find something to complain about or something didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, or I don't listen as well as I should. And it's just so important to be present, be in the moment, be grateful. Every minute, every day is a gift in life. And uh, that's what Sean and TJ uh, left us through writing that book. Yeah, by the way, uh, on our uh, public television production company, go on our website, steveautobato.org. 
to watch the full interview with TJ Nelligan about the book. This was about leadership and entrepreneurism, but that book is incredible. And I, and I knew Sean and we went to a lot of games together and cheered for the Yankees together and at basketball games. And um, it puts things in perspective. And that's what TJ did. He made a ton, TJ made a ton of money as an entrepreneur. His greatest gift is his book about his son and the difference it can make in others. Leaders have to make a difference. I'm Steve. That's Mary. This has been Lessons in Leadership. And um, Alvin says to say goodbye. Goodbye. We'll see you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, is brought to you by Valley Bank, the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, New Jersey Sharing Network, Prager Metis, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. A tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.